On the heels of that communion meditation, I, I feel it uh, important to, to give you a little insight uh, just into my life. Um, Dennis Arnold was both my high school basketball coach and my pastor, and so moron was something I've been called thousands of times from him personally, uh, but it's also made its way into my home now. Uh, it's, it's something that I find that flows pretty freely off my tongue, so uh, you want to talk about a legacy, that's, that's from that guy. So, well, hey, want to welcome you in this morning to Red Brush. We are in the middle, almost winding down, a series on Romans chapter 8. So if you got your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open those up. Uh, we're going to really start to, to get into somewhat of some heavy stuff. Uh, it's not as if the, the previous sections that we've looked at have not been heavy, but this morning we're looking at a passage that quite honestly, has been uh, misconstrued, has been debated over, has been wrestled over in the church for a long time. And so uh, the goal of that this morning is not to, to really choose a side, but, but really give you uh, what Paul is trying to say, uh, to, to give you the tools to, to what Paul is actually trying to say as we work through this text. So Romans chapter 8, uh, we're going to be in verses 26 through 30 this morning. I got to say, I've been so encouraged by many of you who have decided and taken the time to memorize part of Romans chapter 8. I had a student come up to me last week and kind of ashamedly said, I've only memorized verses 1 through 4. I said, that's awesome. I said, do you have any, any scripture memorization before that? And they said, well, no. I said, well, Awesome. Like as you walk through life, you're going to come back to Romans chapter 8 as you're, you're dealing with doubt or you're dealing with struggles or you're dealing with, am I actually saved? You're going to come back to Romans chapter 8 and say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? You're going to need this. And so I'm so encouraged by those of you who have taken the time to memorize. And those of you who are looking away from me right now, I know you haven't, but it's okay. You've got one more week, right? 36 verses this week is all you've got to do. Uh, so uh, keep going. Keep, keep striving for that, uh, not just in this series, but as you walk through life. You're going to need this. Now, if we believe this is the truth, if we believe this is God's word, then we would do well to memorize it and walk it out. Let me recap just a little bit about where we've gone over the past couple weeks. If you remember right from the very beginning, we said in Romans chapter 8, Paul is writing to a church in disunity. He's writing to a church divided, both in, in how they should live the Christian life and also how they should do this thing that we call church. Uh, you've got a church in Rome made up of half Jews. You've got a church in Rome made up of half Gentiles. And, and they're debating and arguing over how, how is this life walked out best. And, and so it's Paul's intention that as you look at Romans chapter 8, you wouldn't see all of these other things. You wouldn't see these surface level issues. You would simply see Jesus and build the foundation of your life and the way that you live this Christian life on the solid foundation of him. So this is the, the goal in writing Romans chapter 8. And if you remember over the last six weeks, what Paul has taken great lengths to remind us of are the blessings that come for the believer in Christ. Yes, you're saved. Yes, yes, we know that off the top, but, but Paul says there's more than that. Not to diminish that, but he's saying there's, there's more. 
to this relationship with, between you and Jesus Christ that he has brought for you. And so he says early on, remember, you have a freedom in Christ. There's no condemnation. Right? You don't have to worry about this anymore. The, the penalty of your sin has been taken, not to be brought up later, but it's removed. Because as we reminded each other, through looking in Romans chapter 8, as, Jesus, or as God looks at you, as a believer in Christ, he sees Jesus. He, he no longer sees your sin, your shame, your guilt. He sees Christ's holiness and perfection. And so this is the new freedom that Christ has bought for you. He's also given you this new mindset. Empowered by the Spirit, you are enabled to walk this Christian life out. You don't continually have to walk in the same sin that has burdened you for a lifetime. You can shed that and walk in the new freedom that comes from the new mindset that is because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into the Holy Spirit a little bit more this morning. But Paul continues on. He says, not only all of that, you've got a new identity. You are a child of God, adopted by the Father. Walk in that identity. Live according to that identity. You are, you are no longer of the world. You are of God now because of his Son. And because of that, we look forward to the life to come in hope because we have a new inheritance the inheritance of spending eternity with God, uh, gazing into his glory forever. Like, this is what awaits the believer in Christ. And so you have a new freedom, a new mindset, a new indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a new identity, and a new inheritance. But even in all of that, over the last couple weeks, what, what Paul has really gone to great lengths to explain is that you are a people who are still in the world. And as people in the world, your life is often marked by trouble and, and trial and suffering. And so you can have all of this knowledge about who God is and, and what he's brought to you, but the reality is, is you are still walking in a life that, that is frustrating, that is painful, that has trials. And so Paul is writing to this group of believers, understanding that. He's saying, but, but as you walk this life, you're going to start to have doubts, you're going to start to have questions, and, and Paul's going to try his best to answer that this morning. And, and even though, even though Paul says, you're, you're going to experience trouble in this life, there was a great promise in verse 18. As we kind of lead up to where we're going this morning, Paul says, but it does not compare to the eternal glory that awaits Whatever pain, whatever struggle in this life, it does not compare to the glory that is awaiting believers. It doesn't negate the trouble of today, but it's a reminder. These two things are not equal. And so Paul starts this section in verse 26 by saying this. He says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, through wordless groans. The beginning of verse 18 all the way down to verse 25 is, is really a section that deals with the human weakness. Right? There, there's suffering, there's pain, there's struggle. There's just the weakness that comes from being a part of humanity. And, and so what Paul is trying to do this morning is remind believers, you're not alone. As you walk this life out, you're not left to your own devices. 
You've not been abandoned to try to figure out the best way that this Christian life is to be lived. No, what he says in verse 26 is you, you have one that helps you. You have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that enables you to walk this Christian life out. Oftentimes, as we, we get our English translation, some of the words, they just don't really measure up. Not to say one is wrong and one is right, but, but one just doesn't really convey the strength that the original writing is trying to get across. When Paul says in our English translation, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, it kind of in our, our minds paints this picture that, that we're walking step in step. Right? It's, it's half me and it's half the Spirit, and, and we're just kind of doing this together. The reality of what Paul is writing is that understanding our weakness, it, it is not 50-50. In fact, the whole work of salvation is actually an example for this. You and I, we said time and time again, did nothing to earn our salvation. We've done nothing good enough for Christ to die for us. We've done nothing good enough for God to see us in our sin, to see us in our guilt, and decide to act. All of salvation is built around him and his work. And so as we walk through this section, Paul's saying the same thing. You on your own are weak. And so the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Maybe a, a better phrasing of that is the Spirit carries us in our weakness. And it paints this picture of you and I really having no strength as compared to eternal things and being carried by the Holy Spirit to live this Christian life. I, I love to travel. Now that I have four kids, it's gotten increasingly difficult, but I, I do love to travel. And I, I'm weird in this. I love the airport. I love it. I love the whole process of it. I love the anticipation. I will be the guy that will get there four hours early just to sit and watch. It's just, it's weird, but it's fun for me. I love the whole process. I love the excitement of, of where we're getting to go. I love the prep for it, and I love the whole airport process. There is one invention that has been brought into the airport that has made my life a lot easier. I used to travel for work, and, and because of that, uh, I was often met with, with really, really, really short layover times, like barely enough time to get where you need to go, and so I'd often have to run through the airport. One of the greatest inventions for those running behind is the moving sidewalk. The moving sidewalk moves at a speed that, that as you move at your normal pace, you are just flying by all of these peasants who have just chosen to walk right? And you, oh, you are better because you're moving quicker, right? And this is the picture that Paul is trying to paint. Right? He's saying, on your own, it's really nothing. But with the Spirit, he is carrying you to live this Christian life. He is carrying you to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus, and so this is a picture of what Paul is trying to say. And so he says this, again, in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, you've seen this verbiage over and over again over the last few verses. Paul has said that, that we ourselves 
We groan, we, we long for Christ to return to, to free us from this life of pain and suffering, to, to give us our redeemed bodies. We long for that. He says not only that, but, but all of creation is groaning. They are longing for Christ to return, for the sons and daughters of the king to be revealed. They're longing for the world to be put back to the way that God intended. And now he's saying, and the Spirit himself groans for us. He, he intercedes for us. He prays for us with these wordless groans. And, and what Paul is doing is he's saying, one, he's reminding you, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. He's reminding you, you can walk this life of being conformed more and more into the image of Christ, not because of yourself, but because the Spirit is living in you. Not only is the Spirit living in you, it is praying for you. When he says he's praying with wordless groans, what, what Paul is trying to illustrate here is the close, intimate relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons living in this perfect harmony, intimately connected, so that as the Spirit prays for us, there are no words needed. The Spirit knows the mind of the Father. And so, He's going to continue in verse 27, really explaining what he means on this. He says, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I prayed for a lot of things in my life. And i got to be honest that there's a lot of times when what I have prayed for was simply selfish on my part. It wasn't what was best for me. It wasn't what was best for my family. It was just what I wanted in the meantime. And, and the reality is, is it's probably many of us, right? We just pray for the things we want oftentimes instead of the things that, that we need in accordance with God's will. And, and the promise that is laid out for believers in this is that as you pray, even if we aren't praying for the right things, as the Spirit is indwelled in us, He is praying for us on our behalf in accordance with the will of God. It's a reminder that you're not always going to get what you want, but if the Spirit is praying in accordance with the will of God, as believers, we will get what we need. Whether we recognize it or not, whether it's painful or not, whether we would choose it in the moment or not, the reminder that Paul is giving is that as the Spirit and God and Christ the Son are, are working in this perfect harmony, as he's praying on our behalf, you will get what is in accordance with the will of God. We're going to get later into what this means, but uh, theologian Douglas Moo says this. He says, There is one in heaven the Son of God, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges that might be brought against us, guaranteeing our salvation in the day of judgment. But there is also an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God, who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf through the difficulties and the uncertainties of our lives here on earth. You are not alone. Regardless of whether you feel it, regardless of the pain that you're going through now, the suffering that you feel in a moment, the reality for believers in Christ is that you are not alone in this journey. 
The Spirit is indwelling you. The Spirit is praying for you. The Spirit is enabling you to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ the more we follow him. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this is why it is so important to to read this scripture in its context, in the entirety of the chapter. Because on the surface, sign me up for that. That sounds great. I, I love God, so God, give me what's good for me. Give me what I want. No, remember, this is on the heels of, of God saying, there is suffering in this life. There is trouble that you, you have to walk through in this life. But believers can trust in this, that we know that in all things, good and bad, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so even in this, believers can take comfort in the fact that God has not abandoned us, has not left us to our own devices, and ultimately, in in the eternal scheme of things, is working everything out for the believer's good. Does it mean it's going to feel good? Absolutely not. Does it mean it's what we would choose? Absolutely not. We are people who do not have the mind of God. But the promise that is in Scripture is that if we know, knew what God knew, if we stood at his vantage point, we would choose the same as he would. Listen, there are, are circumstances that, that you hear that and begin to question it. There's, there's no way I, w- I would choose some of these things. And the reality is, is we have to go back to what Isaiah says about us and God. He admits, Lord, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So if you're confused, if you're questioning, it's understandable. God is not asking you to understand, but he is asking you to trust that ultimately eternally he is working all things out for the good of those who love him verse 28 should give believers enormous comfort god is at work god is at work is working all things out for the good of his people god is molding us more and more into the image of his son with each passing day and he's promised that we will live with him forever it's why at the very beginning I said you, you need to, to memorize Scripture. You, you need to know it. You need to live it out. And the reason why is because you're going to need this. As you tackle the difficulties of this life, you're going to need this. You're going to need to be reminded that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him. You're going to need to be reminded that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're going to need to be reminded. The church in Rome needed this. They needed the same assurance that believers today need because as we walk day to day in this journey with Christ, inevitably, As the circumstances of life arise, the questions come, is this even worth it? Does God even care? Is he even real? No, in their weakness, believers needed a reminder. Will God do what he said he'll do? 
Will God save? And so the promise that hangs in verse 28 is that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him. Eternally speaking, you can rest in God's promises. We come to this comfort in verse 29. 29 and 30 are the the verses that have caused a whole lot of division, a whole lot of uncertainty, a whole lot of divides in the church. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We start to hear these words foreknew and and predestined, and it it, it can lead us to this idea that God has has simply made his determination, and, and there's really nothing you can do. There is no free will of the believer. Remember the context that Paul is writing. He's writing to a church that is dealing with suffering. They're dealing with uncertainty, and it's why he gives them the promise. Listen, God is is working all things out for the good of those who love him. Oftentimes in in life, not just in, in the Christian life, but just life in general, the best way that we understand things, the best way that we learn how to do things is by watching someone else, is, is watching their example, seeing somebody else do it. What Paul is trying to do here is really answer the question of, of is God going to do what he said he's going to do? Well, well look no further than the believers before. Those that God foreknew, those that that God knew of old, those that God knew previously, he saved them as well. So so as you walk through this life questioning, is God going to save me? Is God doing what he promised to do? Look no further than verse 29. He's already done it. He's known those before. He saved those before who have trusted in him. And so as you're questioning Where is God? Will he do what he says he's going to do? Look no further than what he's done in others' lives. He has saved, he is saving, and he will save. This is who God is. Paul ends this section with this in verse 30. As he lays out this truth so that that you don't have to worry. Is God going to keep his promises? He comes to this. He says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Meaning that every piece of salvation that God has promised, that he has promised to call those through his Holy Spirit, because remember, the work of salvation begins and ends with God. You have initiated nothing. He is the one that has worked this art of salvation out. But he has called believers to himself. Those who would trust in his son. And those who trust in his son, the the promise for them is that he's justified them. That they can stand with the freedom that he talks about at the beginning of chapter 8. You are justified. You are no longer sinning in your sin and your, your guilt. 
No, you are free and forgiven through Christ. The believer is justified fully, completely, forever. And it gives a future promise at the end. And those he justified, he also glorified. Meaning the promise for believers that Christ has come both to give you life now, but eternal life forever will be seen through. Jesus will do what he said he's going to do. He says he will return. He says he will make all things new. He says he will take believers to be with him forever. He says he will remake creation the way it was intended. And this section ends by saying, you can believe that. You can trust him in that. And as you trust him in that, that that you are saved completely, that you are awaiting the glorification of your body and, and this life with him forever, it should inform the way that you live here and now. Empowered by the Spirit to walk this life out, keep going. Because he will do what he's promised. So what's the application for Redbrush Christian Church? What's the application for you? As a believer in Christ, the application is this. God in his sovereignty, in his grace, in his love for us, has chosen us to be a part of his mission. First and foremost, he has saved us. Take that in for a moment. He has saved you. He has saved me. Listen, I I know myself better than any of you. You know yourself better than anyone else. I can't approach this text without it removing every bit of pride from me. Because as I know my heart, as I know my mind, I cannot fathom, God, how could you save me? But the promise of Romans 8 is that he has. And as he has saved us, he is remaking us into the image of his son. And as he is remaking us into the image of his son, he has given us a call and a mission to go to share the good news of the gospel. The the great news for you in that mission is you are not in charge of the results. It is simply a call to be obedient, to do what he says, to share the good news of the gospel, not sugarcoating it, but, but reminding them, listen, the gospel starts with condemnation, but it ends with glorification forever because of Christ. And so... The question is, are you participating in the mission? I don't say that to, to make you feel bad about whatever happened this week. No, I, I, I say that because it is the command that God has given us. To go and share the good news of the gospel and the promise that he's given us in Matthew 28 is that he will be with us. That in our weakness, Paul reminds us in Romans 8, the Spirit carries us. So can you do it? No. 
No, not on your own. But you have the Spirit living inside of you, carrying you all the more to the day of Christ's return and our remaking of our holy, perfect physical bodies. In light of that day coming, we've got work to do. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, may the gospel message remove every ounce of pride from our hearts. May it remind us that there is nothing good in us naturally that has bridged this gap between you and us. And yet, Father, the truth of your word is that you've acted, that you've loved us. So, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you continue to enable us to live this life of following you, of obedience to you? Lord, give us a sense of urgency, a sense of boldness to carry out the mission that you've given us. Lord, as we live on the precipice of your return, may we continue to preach the gospel message so that who you save will be saved. Father, thank you for using us. As weak and as broken as we are, you use us to accomplish your mission. But Lord, we need your spirit to continue carrying us. Father, thank you that we have this hope because of your son's shed blood and his broken body. Thank you that he has declared his power over death through the resurrection and has given us a glimpse of what awaits believers in him. Father, may that spur us on to that day. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray.